Start putting it on the board, boys. Let's go. Kelly wants to go quickly. Wants a short option. Doesn't have it, so sends it long. There's a lot of Hawks numbers there, but they go the Three fist. Again. They miss it. Archie again. Absolutely. Look at this, Brendan Archie. Matera sets sail for home. And the Eagles hit the front. Wilson, like a cork in the ocean, over his head. Marking contest over the top. Subic, great grab. Across the ground. Bam! In comes Donnie Wormold. Got it out to a Inside 50, McGovern, McGovern, what a player. Shake needs to be inch perfect, he is. The premiers of 1992. The 1992. Surprise injuries, as always. We've had, we've had surprise news, uh, unfortunately, as well, which we'll circle back to in just a minute. But uh, big week, yeah. yeah. And having a few quiet ones is possibly what caused some of the mess. Yeah, copy that. No more quiet ones for the boys. Uh, joining myself and Miguel as well is Keys. Keys, it's been, as Miguel just touched on, a big week. But I guess the main takeaway is that the Eagles got the win, or at least that's what I'm choosing to take away from the week. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, week's a long time in the footy, isn't it? Yeah. It's almost an eternity since we um, knocked over the Hawks, but that that we did in uh, quite impressive fashion after a um, a relatively dull start. Yeah, I think it was the first game at the MCG for 50 years where both sides went goalless uh, in the first quarter. Some some obscure stat like that. So no, it wasn't really one for the purists, but they did kick into gear. And, and of course, we will talk about the Eagles Hawks game very shortly. Uh, one thing we won't be talking about on this show is the Willie Rioli news, and it's not because we're burying our head in the sand, but it is rather because we've done a sort of dedicated 20-odd minute podcast that you'll be able to find in this same feed as well. So if you're listening to us now and you want our take on the Willie Rioli situation, that podcast is available. It will be out now and it'll be available wherever you found this one. Lastly, before we dive into things, thank you very much to everybody who joined us for the live commentary. We did another live call against the Hawks. Miguel, we actually got a win this time rather than the Geelong situation. But yeah, another fun one in the books. So thank you very much for joining us on that one. Yeah, but uh, Keyes wasn't on that call, so he may possibly be the jinx. Right, Keyes, banned for life. Uh, Yeah, it seems that way, doesn't it? West Coast Eagles, 14 goals, 14-98, defeated Hawthorne, 8-12-60. As we just said, neither side had a goal in the first quarter, but things did kick into gear after that. It was a, it was a pretty high-scoring game, all things considered, but uh, the Eagles professionally get the win. Thank you very much to everyone who sent in their three-word reviews, which we'll go through just a couple now. Uh, our very own Mr. KK. G'day, KK. He uh, mentioned that it was a solid, mature, professional. That's that, those were his three words there. Uh, Stacey liked that the lesser likes shined. Corey J says on Twitter, more sneeze, please. Absolutely plenty to love about our cheese game. We'll get back onto that one. Jimmy thinks that William over Vardy for the foreseeable future. Rob said good three quarters. I presume he meant second, third, and fourth on that one. Andrew said young guys triumph. Michael has efficient away win. 
Matt, on a similar theme, youth really growing. And uh, another Michael, separate Michael, decimated, midfield, dominated. Miguel, it was a weird start. We've touched on that now a few times, but it's the finish that's the main thing. It's the four points that the main thing. The leaders really stood up for the West Coast Eagles. Some interesting guys stood up as well, taking a good opportunity. All in all, the Eagles tick the box. They get the win against Hawthorne. Yeah, uh, it was pleasing to get uh, such a, a solid win with the number of outs that we had and with all the noise about our inability to win on the road and uh, our terrible record of the MCG, which we've now managed to lift to um, just the six wins from the last eight games. most pleasing aspect, I thought, was... Um, we got close to a four-quarter effort for the second week in a row, um, which has probably been the biggest issue we've had this season, that we've had a tendency to just switch off here and there, which you can't afford to do in, in the elite leagues. But uh, I don't think there was any periods of the game where the effort waned. Um, the first quarter was just ugly, terribly ugly, but wasn't for the lack of effort. It was more a lack of execution, I thought. Uh, and the second most pleasing aspect was the spread of goal kicking that we got. Didn't actually get that many goals out of our key forwards. I think it was four between Kennedy, Darling and Waterman. Five if you include Williams. Uh, and we had nine separate goal scorers after getting, I think, 10 the week before. Got uh, some goals from sort of surprise areas. Got four goals out of Archie, which was a very pleasant surprise, having probably not been in anyone's 22 going into the game, apart from the match committee. All the forwards bar Cripps hit the scoreboard. We got a goal out of our backup Ruckman. We got goals from the midfield. So bit to like about that game. Plenty to like. And Keys, we might as well get stuck into the Archie angle because that was definitely the most fun element of the game. You know, we saw him lay a, a good tackle early that wasn't rewarded. That might have been our first goal. We saw him have another snap early that didn't make the distance by about a centimetre. That could have been his first goal. In the end, he's come away with four. He might have had, you know, a real true day to remember, but... Nonetheless, Archie, he's on the list for this sort of occasion and he really did take his chance. Yeah, for a guy who wasn't actually convinced he should have been selected, but he got the nod and, I mean, four goals was the, the highlight stat for him. But aside from that, he he, um, he had a pretty good game all around. He moving up into midfield from, from time to time. I think he had I think 19 possessions, four or five tackles, something like that. So he was he, he was involved in in the game from from start to finish pretty much, and you know you do that even without the goals. I mean he was probably one of our best. You're going to take that. You're going to take that each week from him if we can consolidate that. It's good going forward to have a guy like that that we can bring into the side when we're undermanned and um, and throw up a good performance. And I think you know probably our one of the good things, we spoke about it on the pod, about the game leading up, was Hawthorne's ability to rebound from half-back. And our small forwards as a group really stifled that. You know, CK and, and uh, Impey got a fair bit of ball, still got some of the ball, but they weren't really damaging. And I think, I think we had 16 inside 50 tackles, which would be easily a season high for us. And a lot of repeat entries, um, I think 63 inside 50 is a season high. Didn't always capitalise on those, unfortunately. But, uh, you know, between them, Langdon, Cripps, Petricelli, Jones and Archie had a, as a collective, had a um, had a pretty solid game, I thought. Yeah, and it wasn't flashy. Miguel touched on it before. Maybe not a, go- uh, maybe not a lot of goals coming from the big guys either, but the small sort of did their work. They brought things, you know, when, the, when things hit the deck, they provided that pressure. I thought Petch was very good value for his two goals because he was quiet, but he was doing a lot of defensive running and, and some of the stuff maybe that we haven't seen from Petch uh, enough in his career. So really nice to see Petch start to turn a corner. Archie, of course, that was just really fun. Everybody got around that. 
Langdon bobbed up with a goal. You know, Cripps was involved as well, and it really opened some things up. Miguel, Andrew Gaff is another headline out of this game because he has come away with 38 disposals, 12 marks. He's had eight inside 50s, a few clearances, a few rebounds. He's doing it all over the field. But we've seen Andrew Gaff back to his surgical best on the weekend. And really, it's a couple of weeks now in a row where this new look slash depleted midfield has really stood up. Yeah, um, Gaff's been in great form since some people had him being dropped after the Geelong game for missing a tackle. Yeah, he, he's, he Kelly, Sheed, uh, have all, Redden, have all stepped up in the absence of um, of Shuey and Yo, uh, and now Duggan in that midfield. Yeah, the, that was the area that we needed to lift. Um, we're getting smashed in contested possessions and clearances, and yeah, since that Geelong game, they haven't really looked back in that regard. Yeah, Gaff's been in great form. Uh, his marking, his contested marking in particular, was something that was really noticeable in um, in the Hawthorne game. He took some some great one on one marks using some some body strength, which to look at him, it doesn't look like he's got any. So yeah, uh, fantastic effort from him. And you might have um, preempted my pick for. Uh, best on ground this week against Adelaide. Uh, don't worry about it. He was my pick for best on ground last week against Hawthorne. So take a victory oh, lap on that one there. That, yeah, that was a good call. Yeah, don't worry about it. Case uh, swinging things down back, and this was another area that it was depleted because we had Duggan as a surprise out, and he'll be out for a little while, unfortunately. Of course, we know the status of Hearn and McGovern and Barass as it, as it related to last week's game. So again, you know, it was a, it was a Brad Shepherd led team with the guys behind him like Edwards, like Rotham. Uh, Nelson doing a bit of a job, Cole doing a job with it and trying to get involved offensively as well. All in all, uh, you can only play who you play against. I know the Hawks aren't premiership favourites or anything like that, but all in all, a really solid, composed day from the back line as well. Yeah, the backs were good. You know, probably probably kind of fortunate that our back line's been at its weakest against two of the poorer forward lines in the in the comp and, and Gunston missing again was a you know probably a bit of a bonus for us. But, you know, Really good experience for Edwards. Alan just showed that, you know, he's not even well, 50 or close to 50 games into his career. He's just a professional and that he'll do whatever it takes. I mean, the, the smother he had on that wing in the give a quarter it was, it was outstanding. You know, he's he, just his work rate and positioning and and and, and Shepard led the defence really, really well. He, he he stood up. He's bounced back from a, a poor game against Geelong. His, his last two weeks have been really good. So, yeah, a couple of guys might need to make way, uh, as the likes of McGovern and Hearn work their way back into the side. But, you know, that experience for them, particularly Edwards, will be invaluable down the track. And then we saw, you know, Williams come into the side his first game for the season as a backup ruck. And I thought Williams was really good. Um, and I thought he, in that second quarter, when, uh, you know, after a first quarter, we really struggled to capitalise on the forward entries. I thought Williams' marking in the forward line in the second quarter was pivotal into um, giving us the, the catalyst to get things moving. And but for his um, couple of errant kicks at goal, he, he, he should have had he should have definitely had two and probably three goals for the quarter. Now, he was he was he was really pleasing his game. Miguel, one last player focus I'd like to point out before we sort of take a look at the Hawks game generally. Uh, it's a guy that we've talked about a lot. We have dedicated a lot of time to talking about Jared Brander on this podcast, but let's dedicate a bit more. He is turning a corner in a really substantial way. It's starting to, you know, show why the club has persisted with him as as a midfielder or a winger. You know, quite a quite a tall player in a role that wouldn't be too familiar with him. 
you have a look at his disposal count this season. I mean, his previous career high in his in his other games was 16. He, he has had career highs of 16, and previously it was 14. Now, this season, you're looking at 21, 16, 18, 12, 16, and then 19 on the weekend. Didn't get a goal, unfortunately, but five goals in six games, six consecutive weeks of footy. He's doing his business. He's going about his business really professionally, playing his role, marks off the halfback, inside 50s. He had seven. That's a career high. Really, really growing into this spot. Is this a guy almost that we're ready to say set and forget for the rest of the year? Um, it's going to be difficult with the guys that we've got coming back, um, particularly in that midfield, to say set and forget. But, yeah, he's um, he's certainly going to make it a very difficult uh, job for the match committee. Uh, yeah, he's showing the benefits of getting an extended run in the team and an extended run, I think, in, in the same sort of role rather than being thrown all over the field. Uh, and yeah, he's definitely got some um, talent and got some tools for a bloke his size. You mentioned his possession count, but also the, the quality of the possessions um, that we get from him is fantastic for a bloke his size. Some of his kicking uh, inside 50 is great. And as well as that, his, uh, his ability to float back and take a defensive mark it reminds me a bit of Andrew Embley in the, the 2006 grand final. So yeah, definitely a lot. Just no pressure on the kid. Yeah, no, um, none at yeah, all. Jeez. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely a lot to like. And um if we did have a, a full squad to choose from, if we do get everyone back and no injuries um, in the second half of the year, as unlikely as that sounds, then maybe his spot comes under pressure. But yeah, he's, uh, he's certainly going a long way towards making himself undroppable at the moment. So Keys, what does that win mean for us for the season? I think we've talked in the past about how this stretch of games, the Eagles just need to tick them off. It's not so much about style, but it's about getting the result. Nonetheless, I think there was a bit to like in the style of some of those games, you know, particularly the last three quarters. It was a bit to like of the style of that game. So is it just as simple as, yep, got the win, move on? Is there something that you learned in the game that you'd like to see carried forward? What do we take away from round eight? I think what we're getting is, we touched on it, we've got four quarters of effort and we got the effort from 22 guys and our Achilles heel, which is contested possessions, we're, we're sort of sort of finding a way to, to get on top of that. So I think that the attitude looks better probably hard from from an outsider to know exactly what's been tweaked but you know different we're, we're playing a little bit differently to to how we were I think you know Simpson's been asked about Jones for example and see you know we've we've sort of clarified his role and and I think we've probably done that with maybe one or two others we just look a little bit more cohesive found our mojo and at this stage with the players out we just even though we've played, you know, probably two bottom six teams and, you know, perhaps another one coming up on the weekend, you just need to get those wins until the until the cavalry arrives. And, you know, it's it's worth worth waiting gold, those four points. Um, Hawthorne can always be a dangerous side. They can always bite us on the arse to, to get away with that. And the last two weeks, the combined winning margin has been... 97 points, which was coincidentally what we lost to by Geelong. So the the percentage damage that we've we had from the Geelong game, we've we've sort of managed to undo over the last two weeks. So that's that's handy as well. Heroes and villains, time for the week. Time to clear the air. It's been a, a tough week, a long week, an interesting week in the West Coast Eagles land. And Keys, your rant last week, by the way, went absolutely spectacularly. It was the talk <laughs> of 
the social media uh, response. It was all in regards to how, how much they loved your rant. I had somebody personally request a copy of it, which I have not told you yet, but uh, I'm telling you now. <laughs> somebody hit us up on the Facebook inbox and said, can you just send like a snippet of that audio, just the rant? So, yep, that's been delivered. No worries about that. Someone actually asked for it to be printed up as like a motivational poster or something, didn't they? They're going to put it on the banner this week, I heard, Miguel. They're saving, yeah. <laughs> it, saving it for Hearn's big game, I think, for the big run-out banner. Fire up the boys one last time. So, with that in mind, Keys, I think it would only be right to let you lead us off for Villain of the Week. It's been a big week. There's a fair few nominations I think are going to be quite popular this week, but uh, it's over to you. This is your segment. Time to shine. I, I think we surely have a runaway winner this week. Tom Brown, come on down, you f***ing clown. Um, <laughs> if you're going to just f***ing make shit up, at least make it somewhat credible. Eagles are after Patrick Cripps, maybe. They sure as shit aren't going to be trading Elliot Yo to get him. Why you would even think that? It got the appropriate response from Craig Vozzo when he was asked about it in his press conference during the Rioli thing. On a dark day for Fozzo when he was under a heap of pressure, at least it brought a smile to his face because he just laughed it off and actually used the term laughable. Elliot Yeo's done as much as he could to rubbish it when he was on 96FM this morning or yesterday morning. And a journal from your own network has basically, within about half an hour, just completely rubbished it and said there's just no way that Elliot Yeo's being traded. I mean... Tom Brown's built a career on making stupid comments and tweets. He's even got his own Tom Brown translator account on Twitter to decipher what the fuck he's trying to talk about. Absolute belling idiot if his dad wasn't some multimillionaire with his fingers in hot sort of pockets. I don't think he'd have a job, but, yeah, he's, he's mine. I don't think there's anybody else. Yeah, I reckon I could talk about Tom Brown for about an hour. It's a topic that I really like talking about Tom Brown because he's just a bizarre human being. He's a journalist (laughs) who can't write. He's a journalist who can't report live on air. He's a journalist who can't research. And and Keyes has nailed it. Obviously, it's family connections. I think that's pretty well documented by now. But uh, Miguel, you pointed it out and Keyes has just mentioned it there. It only took a few minutes for a journo from the same network to come out and kick yeah. his report. Now, how often do you see that? Yeah, that was that was very laughable. And yeah, I'm not sure he is a journo apart from his um, apart from his job title. He's basically a, one of the dodgy big footy posters on the drafts and trading board who's just allowed to air his thought fart bubbles with some semblance of uh, of authority. But yeah, we could we did a separate pod this week on Willie Rioli. We could probably do another one on Tom Brown if we wanted to. <laughs> Tom Brown, maybe in the bye week we'll do the Tom Brown edition. I don't reckon there'll be a journalist with more blocked accounts than him. Oh well, g'day Tom, if you're reading, which I know you're not, because he's blocked us for sending. I sent one joke tweet. It was the softest joke. It was I, I forget the exact wording of it, but he tweeted something like, uh, "Oh, the Collingwood list manager is about to undergo an extensive review of the list." This is very normal as he is new in the job. And I was like, well, why would you tweet it then, mate? So I just tweeted something like... <laughs> I remember that. I just wrote, Adam Simpson is set <laughs> to take West Coast... Does his job. Yeah, exactly right. This Now, this was when Collingwood were down in the dumps. Not that they're not anymore, but you know what I mean. So he was trying to have a scoop, but then backpedal away from it immediately because he didn't want to put any pressure on anyone. So I just said, Adam Simpson set to take West Coast training today, which is normal because he's the head coach. And he blocked me. So get stuff, Tom. Um, anyway, Miguel, do you have any other nominations before we all unanimously award it to Tom Brown? Yeah, well, everyone's fighting for second, I think, um, this week. Uh, I had uh, the Fox Footy panel uh, just in general, and I think 
it was probably led by Dermot, but I'd switched off as soon as they started it. They were doing it during our call, which we didn't hear, and then they started doing it after the game as well, going on about Nick Nat's work rate uh, and pointing out some things that aren't really work rate related. It's more sort of game plan. I think the, the two things they picked up, him not chasing his opponent forward out of a stoppage, which I don't think is work rate. I think it's, um, I can't say that word, work rate. I, th- I think it's him hanging around trying to influence the, the secondary contest, which most ruckmen don't do. And then so his ruckman buggers off. And then if the ball does spill out, uh, he's left alone. Uh, and the second thing is the running out of the forward 50 to drop back and fill space and allow Darling to, to take the ruck. That seems to me like a, a set play. Um, they like Darling taking those forward rucks and he, he's done pretty well at taking the ball cleanly and snapping goals. So they're liking that tactic. Uh, I do take the point that they could maybe change it up a bit and occasionally get Nick Nat to come down there and, and, and take one himself, but it, it's clearly a tactic, so none of that stuff's work rate. So just the reporting about Nick Nat being lazy is, I think, lazy itself. Yeah, I, uh, I think a highlight was during the call of the game, he, he said, oh, yeah, we don't use Nick Nat Nui enough as a target for kickouts, and then we proceeded to um, go coast to coast on the kickout and yeah. kick a goal without Nick Nat Nui getting anywhere near it. I was like, yeah, maybe that's why you don't. But um, it reminds me of something else from the game on Hawthorne, which I, is we get three goals from kick-ins, yeah. which was really pleasing. And I made note in the um, positive-negative thread, we have changed our tactic on the kick-outs. We're still going right more often than not. But instead of going close to the boundary, we're going mm. sort of to the edge of the centre square. That corner of the square, yep. Yeah, yeah and we're opening things up. I mean, it, Came off twice, and then the other one was, I think we had a kick in where we went short initially and then went wider. But certainly twice we went to that sort of edge of the square and knocked it on, and I think there was a couple of other times where it didn't quite come off, but it was a legit tactic. And that was I was one of the takeaways from the game that I was really pleased with. But anyway, um, Tom Brown's a villain. So we maybe should get on to the heroes. Oh, I've got one more villain, but just to close oh, the uh, close the loop on the Nick Nat thing. Yeah, we did have some people write in, uh, listener villains. We well, we had a few for the umpires first and foremost. We also had some yeah for the Dermot Nick Nat chat. He doesn't take enough marks, but the Eagles lead the uh, AFL in contested marks and a second in marks in general. So I would hazard that you know we've got enough guys doing it. Maybe have him play his role. The Eagles aren't a great clearance side. You know, we're sort of just around about the lower ends of the pack, not amazing at it. Nick Nat leads the way for us, though. How many other Ruckman lead their team in clearances? So it's almost like it's horses for courses, and not all Ruckman do the same thing. It's almost like seven clearances a game from Nick might be worth more than three clearances a game from Max Gorn or four from Grundy, and a random link-up mark on the wing isn't everything, damn it. But whatever, anyway. Getting sidetracked. Uh, one last nomination from myself, and Miguel even hinted at it off the very, very top. Herald Sun, Super Footy, Twitter account. Uh, a rare win for the Eagles at the MCG, and Miguel's nailed it there. Six and two at the MCG since 2018, West Coast Eagles. Now, we've only played there eight times, but you can only play where you're scheduled. Six wins, two losses, and a rare win. Keys, the Tigers are four and four in their last eight games. When do you think they're going to get their next rare win at the G? And Port Adelaide, third on the ladder, six wins, two losses. How did you enjoy their rare win on the weekend over Adelaide? Oh, yeah. Just there's, there's a whole heap of things I wish for as as rare as a six and two record at the MCG Muppets. Oh, well, 
Uh, Tom Brown is the unanimous winner, and I think the writing was on the wall for that for a while, but still nice to get a few things off the chest. Uh, Hero of the week, we had some listeners who really loved Dom Sheed's game, and and a big shout-out to him. He did play very, very well. And uh, a couple other shout-outs for Bailey Williams as well. A lot of... A lot of uh, listeners and, and readers, social media folk, really uh, really like Bailey Williams. My hero nomination is Ryan Daniels, and it's for the exact inverse of the Tom Brown thing. He slapped him down in public. That's very funny. And Craig Wazzo as well, Miguel. He's had a big week. He's had plenty to do, but uh, I think he's navigated it as well as possible. Hero nomination from yourself, Mig. Uh, they were my first two, so thanks for stealing them. Oh, sorry. Um, <laughs> my, uh, luckily, I had a third one, uh, a bit of a strange one. I'll, I'll take your strange nomination for the week. Good. Um, AFL, bit of a half-hearted nomination as well, if I'm going to be honest, but they get a nomination for seeing sense and bringing back Thursday night uh, team names as of next week. Now, if they could just uh, follow their own lead and bring back some of the other traditional things that they've gotten rid of, that'd be great. Oh, we've still got the traditional home opener of Carlton Richmond. Miguel, I don't know what you're complaining about. Keys, yeah, hero sorry. of the week from yourself? Yeah, uh, not so serious one first. I'm going to nominate Dean Margetts. Um, or take it upon himself to prove to Fremantle supporters that he's not actually biased against Fremantle. He's just completely incompetent with that deliberate out-of-bounds decision. Oh, against yes. So, yeah, he, he doesn't pick on you, Fremantle. He's just <laughs> an atrocious umpire. So, yeah, hero for him because he's gone out of his way to um, prove it. He's not biased against Fremantle. He's just biased against common sense. Um <laughs> Uh, my hero is um, Willie Rioli's lawyer. Get caught with 25 grams of pot getting onto a plane and you get your client off with a slap with a wet lettuce leaf. That's a, um, that's a fair effort. Yeah, so, I, th- I think he actually, the lawyer actually got the cops to apologise to Willie, didn't he? That was a big, big effort. <laughs> yeah, don't say that every and, day. And the, um, at the Northern Territory News, because in all of this, they had uh, quite the headline. I can't remember exactly, but basically he got caught with a package next to his willy. Northern Territory News is always good value. They've always got the uh, the bizarre front page headline as well. I think they know their market and they know what they're going for there. Uh, I know it was probably a half-hearted uh, nomination from yourself there, Keys, but I actually really like the idea of giving Dean Margetts Hero of the Week. He's, he's, <laughs> I, I, why wouldn't we? I don't expect Fremantle fans to listen to this, but if they did, it would rile them up. And I don't know. Let's just let's just have some fun. Who, who else? Who else has had a better week than Dean Margetts? Oh, I thought give it to Rhino just for the. Oh, um, that's probably fair, actually. Yeah. Just for the, my, the, my, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Just the, the mirror image of the villain of the week. My, my vote. Symmetry. My vote, Rhino. He's actually in a, in a um a field of complete idiots. Rhino. Shines like a beacon. Yeah, exactly. He's uh. He's actually one of the good guys, and generally speaking, he, you know, if you say something from him, you, you know you can rely on it. He's not, uh, he doesn't sort of dress stuff up. He just reports it as it is, and, um, yeah, no, i got a lot of time for him, and smack down one of your, uh, your workmates for being an idiot. Yeah, well done. Ryan Daniels, the hero of the week. A little bit of news now as we wrap things up before we get into the Crows game. Keys, I'll, I'll lead this one off to you first and foremost. We've got the COVID restrictions lifted, which is great for WA, but more specifically, more importantly, great for footy. We've got 100% capacity this week. No masks at the footy either by the time it rolls around until Sunday. So we could be looking at a very, very full Optus Stadium. The Eagles hoping to string together a couple of wins and, and maybe finally a few weeks out in front of some fans. Yeah, no, good to see the back of the restrictions and Optus back to 100%. 
So uh, it may even mean I can uh, get a ticket for Sunday and it should go along to a game again. So that would be nice. A big full house. I think Simo said his press conference would be nice to see 55,000 Eagles fans and 100 Crows ones there. Good to get Optus back to its uh, capacity. And Miguel, a bit of news affecting the AFLW and, and the Eagles AFLW side. They've announced today that the league is committed to introducing all 18 teams into the AFLW competition by 2023. Now, of course, there's 14 teams currently, so there's a few more to be added, but they will be added over the course of the next couple of years. Pretty good from the Eagles' perspective in that you'd suggest more expansion sides means more opportunity for results and also potentially a longer season as well, more time to string together a bit more of a game plan and, and a little bit more practice and exposure, I suppose, for, for the young Eagles' side. Yeah, the biggest worry with that is uh, the further dilution of the, the talent pool and you wonder how those expansion clubs are going to go. We've seen you know, with us uh, and a few of the others that have come in late that it's difficult to sort of pick up the players to uh, to put a team out there to be able to compete with the um, the existing teams. So um, that's my main concern without having you know, watched any women's junior football or anything to see what the talent's like coming through. You'd assume it would uh, improve as more funds are being put into the game and everything but yeah that's the worry whether you know it doesn't look at the moment like there's enough uh, elite talent around to support 14 teams so is there going to be enough talent around in three or four years time or whatever to support 18 teams a bit iffy but um yeah certainly good result for the the women's game i suppose and the, the teams that don't have clubs have all been uh very very keen to get clubs uh, get teams so they um that's obviously driven it but um, yeah, the other news was the season. I think is going to start in December and run basically until the uh, the Wizard Cup final. So they'll get a bit more clear air, clear from from other footy competition, but they'll have to compete more with cricket and so on. So and the heat, by the way, that's playing uh, yeah, that's playing the, peak summer footy as well is not yeah, going to be pleasant. For, I would um, suspect for athletes that are still probably most of them part time uh, and uh, and have other jobs. So. Yeah, that's going to be a big ask for them. That's that's another point as well. Although they were they were playing in February, which is probably the hottest month anyway. Yeah, but yeah, look, good to see the women's game developing. But uh, yeah, a few issues that they'll need to work their way through. Hopefully, with the more teams as well. Yeah, as I say, you can get an expanded fixture. And currently, the next season is slated to just be the ten games. But in future, if we could get that out expanded to everybody playing everybody, that would just I think be a fantastic step for the game. And yeah, Miguel, like you say, look, the talent's only going to get better, and the junior footy participation rate is up. Uh, funding is up, as you pointed out. So you'd suggest it's only going to get better. And uh, yeah, fingers crossed everything fires in that direction for the West Coast Eagles specifically. <music> Round nine, the West Coast Eagles take on the Adelaide Crows this Sunday at Optus Stadium, 2.40pm. And gents, once again, the story of the game, going in at least, is the story of the injuries. Bit of good news, the worm is starting to turn for the West Coast Eagles. We've heard from the club not official confirmation, but a few little nudge-nudge, wink-wink sort of confirmations that Tom Barras and Jeremy McGovern should be set to return this week. Liam Duggan has gone in for knee surgery. Five to six weeks for him. That happened since we last spoke. Shannon Hearn, one more week, most likely with the calf. Mark Hutchings is a test with the hammy, and Josh Kennedy set to rest or miss with the calf injury sustained late in the Hawks game. Uh, Liam Ryan, one more week, or potentially two, but... We should be looking to get a few All-Australian guys back in the next couple of weeks. Shuey is back jogging and, and starting to train a little bit. We've seen photos of Yo jogging, running, snapping, training as well. 
Vardy one to two weeks with the foot injury, and Isaiah Winder, unfortunately, eight weeks with a knee injury. So that is a very big time frame for a young man. But, uh, Miguel, aside from that, all of the injury news is starting to trend positive for West Coast. Yeah, we've got a few coming in. Um, I think we'll have to stagger them. Uh, did you want me to go straight into selection here? Yeah, let's uh, do it. Yeah, yeah, why not? Yeah, so Barras and McGovern coming in by the sound of it. Um, looks like... Uh, we'll push Allen forward and probably Harry Edwards out of the team, unfortunately for him. Allen forward, I think, means this can be a game we can afford to rest Kennedy and just with the the older guys and guys that have sort of suffered recurring injuries during the during the season. So Hearn and Shuey and Kennedy, I don't think we should be taking any chances with, really. Um, so, yeah, I'd, I'd rule a line through Kennedy this week, give him the week off um, to freshen up. Probably don't want him playing the full season anyway. Uh, so basically, yeah, they're my two main changes. Alan forward replaced by Barras and McGovern coming in to replace Edwards. Uh, and I'd make a third change. I'd bring in a, a midfielder like um, Xavier O'Neill or possibly even Luke Edwards, might be a bit unlikely, uh, in and, and drop a forward uh, and it'd be Langdon, which has already become a whipping boy and nothing against him. I think he's actually probably improved over the last couple of weeks. But um Purely from a structural point of view, I think we're a midfielder short. Uh, we worked around it against Hawthorne by having Archie uh, and Jermaine Jones take some midfield rotations and push Cripps up to a wing a bit, but I don't think we can keep getting away with that, and it, it does leave us very exposed if we do cop an injury in that area, um, similar to what we saw when Hearn went down against uh, the Saints, I think it was, uh, and we didn't have... Uh, any sort of midfield coverage. We had we had Duggan who could have gone back, but he was playing midfield and we didn't have a spare midfielder to, to throw in there, so it left us um, short. So I'm um, just mindful of that. So my changes would be yeah, Barras, uh, McGovern and probably O'Neill in for uh, Kennedy injured, Edwards unlucky and Langdon unlucky. And there's no waffle this week, by the way. It's just so whoever doesn't play, unfortunately, won't get uh, a game in and, and won't get a chance to try and force their way back in. Won't get a chance to get belted by 100-plus points either. Uh, also that. Xavier O'Neill, 34 touches in the waffle on the weekend, nine tackles and a goal. One goal too, in fact, so push forward a little bit as well. I don't mind the call there, Miguel. I like it. You've also got to pick your spot with when you're playing these guys, and I think O'Neill didn't do much wrong to lose his spot. The club has started to you know, start to click, and a few results strung together since he's been out of the side, though, so a bit of a victim of circumstance there. For me, yeah, it's Gov for Kennedy, and, you know, you swing Oscar forward there, and it's Barras for Edwards, stiff as for Edwards, because he's been really good, certainly as good as you can expect. But I'll leave it at just the two changes. Uh, with that said, we will get into the Crows list and injury situation in just a minute. Keys, can we expect any other changes from West Coast on Sunday? Uh, pending the surprise injury, that seems to be a recurring theme. I think it's just Barras and Gov in for Kennedy and Edwards and leave it at that, and, and hopefully, you know, this is a week that we don't find out someone's injured that we didn't know about, fingers crossed on that front, and interesting, while you're talking, um, there's a something popped up with Doug, and he's sort of talking himself up as a chance to return before the bye, so that would be encouraging as well. So let's take a look at the opposition this week, and it's an Adelaide Crows side that surprised a few people, they started the season with a big scalp against Geelong. Now, he started three and one, uh, three wins and one loss, in fact, but then zero wins, four losses since. And, guys, some of them have gotten quite ugly. Some of the injuries are starting to mount as well. The Crows coming across to Perth without Tex Walker, who started the season in amazing form. 
all in all, Miguel, it looks like a list that is is ready to be broken apart by a good Eagles side on the home deck. They got no Ned McHenry, who's very dangerous. They got injuries all over the park. No Crouch, no Tom Lynch, uh, no Millerer, no Talia, no Lachlan Murphy as well. A sneaky one there that's going to hurt them. All in all, this is a side with some green shoots and some promising signs, but you'd hope it's a side that the Eagles are professional enough to just deal with. Yeah, they were looking like the surprise packet of 2021 early in the season, but they've, they've come back to the pack a bit. Uh, yeah, as you said, those injuries are starting to bite. Um, yeah, lost McHenry and Murphy uh, this week, who are their, um, their sort of their two small pressure forwards. So that's a big structural loss for them. Losing Tex as well is a big structural loss. So... Yeah, definitely uh, Adelaide right for the picking. Uh, for us, uh, we need to see, uh, from our point of view, a, a third week of the sort of footy that has gotten us the last two wins. So uh, hunting the ball at the contest, um, putting pressure on up the ground, denying them forward 50 entries or at least clean forward 50 entries. Adelaide I saw a quote from Matthew Nix saying that when they were winning, they were moving the ball quite clearly inside, quite cleanly, sorry, inside 50. And... Um, allowing Tex some good goal-scoring opportunities and uh, when their form dropped off, his form dropped off as a result because they just they were getting, the entries they were getting were messy. Um, so that's what certainly what we should be aiming to do to them as well. Um, they're one of the worst clearance teams in the comp when you look at the numbers. Uh, obviously missing Crouch in there, Sloan's come back in, but yeah, lost the other Crouch. Uh, and yeah, that's uh, a place where yeah, we should be looking to get all over them. Paul Seedsman having... A good season. Seen him talked about as a potential surprise All Australian and uh, led their metres gained last week by a long way. So he's one that we might have to put a bit of time into if we were to play Nelson or someone as a tagger. But yeah, certainly um, shouldn't have any worries with this group. And um, we spoke after the Geelong game about the sort of the soft fixture, fixture we had coming into the bye. And uh, yeah, this is definitely one of them and one that we should absolutely be winning if we've got any uh, intentions of. of uh, doing anything this season. Now, Keys, you look at the Adelaide forward line, and as Miguel's just rightly pointed out, they've lost not just three solid players, but probably their three best players up there, certainly some of their most dangerous ones, all in the same week. You have a look at their history here, kicking for goal. Round six, they played the Hawks, and they started that game 15 goals, zero, for a score of 90, all from goals. From that point onward, midway through round six onwards till now, we're talking two and a half games of footy there, 10 goals, 26. That's 86 for those playing at home. So it's a forward line that's sort of come off the rails a bit. It's now losing some personnel. We're all predicting that the Eagles are set to gain some all-Australian caliber talent back in. So what's the matchup here? You've got kids like that young Phil thought they were talking about in Tasmania. You know, they've still got guys like Fogarty as well. I remember he kicked a bag against the Eagles a few years ago, but not a lot of guys that you see on this list that really instill any fear. So how, how does the defence make sure that they're staying switched on and starting to drive us off half-back this week? Yeah, well, I think it's just you know, making sure they're not complacent. I think you know, Barras and Gov coming back in, so they'll want to um, re-establish themselves and get them sort of rhythm going. And then for the other guys, you, you know, the likes of Rotham and uh, Witherden and Cole, you know, you've probably got you know, Hearn coming back in. So those guys are going to have to be pretty switched on because whoever was the worst performer out of those three is is probably going to have to make way for, for Hearn to come in. So, you know, there's a there's a spot in the 22 that they're, they're playing for for the following week. So I think that should be enough to keep them switched on. You know, that Adelaide forward line's got a little bit of the, the Hawthorns from the, 
the week before, you know, it's pretty inexperienced and you would hope we um, can deal with it without too too much trouble. Miguel, I think the most interesting matchup from a West Coast versus Adelaide perspective is one, it's a bit of a holdover from last year, and that's your Riley O'Brien versus Nick Natanui matchup. We've all predicted that Bailey Williams is going to stay in the side and, and give Nick Nat a bit of a chop out, but it all stemmed from a bit of a social media incident last year, and, and Natanui probably got the better of O'Brien on the day when they faced off. Do you think it's the sort of thing where O'Brien is now keen to come out and make a point? Is Natanui still feeling anything over that, or is it more or less business as usual? And if it is, how does that matchup play out this weekend? Yeah, he might be. Um, I'm sure Nick Nat circled it, and they just add to that the uh, the criticism he got from Fox, which I mentioned earlier. So yeah, he might be coming out for a big one, and you've just pinched my other uh, other pick as best on ground. Thanks for that. <laughs> um, going well, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean O'Brien, the way that he'll try and combat Nick is what we saw last year, uh, and it's uh, has worked with other some other rucks as well this season. Is just try and work him around the ground, so the team will need to be uh, be alive to that, and just yeah, not allow him. We play a team defence anyway, really, so um, just you know, not allow him to, if he floats forward, not allow him to um, get open and um, and take an uncontested mark or, or get isolated against a, a Jackson Nelson or someone who's giving up eight inches on him. But yeah, Nick Nat should, O'Brien's not the best tap ruckman, so Nick Nat should give us um, first use out of the out of the middle. It's just a matter of um, yeah, nullifying O'Brien's uh, ability to be a link-up sort of extra midfielder around the ground. Keys, as we turn our attention to the forward line and, and this matchup here, the, the Adelaide back line is not one that stands out to you on paper. And of course, they're missing Talia, who historically has been their leader, but um, you know he's getting on a little bit now. Looking at the scores that they concede, even in wins, they're giving up big, big scores. You've got 91 against, 85 against. Their best concession this year so far was 68 against North Melbourne. But beyond that, you know, 84 points to the Dockers and 102 points to this Hawks side we just watched. 106 points to the Giants. It's a defense that seems to be there. It seems to be right for the picking. How do we go about ensuring that with no Josh Kennedy, you know, we're, we're feeding Darling in the right spot, we're feeding Oscar Allen in the right spot, and we're getting these guys involved? Yeah, well, I think um, Aussie concluded a couple of games, head start to uh, Josh and, and uh, Darling in the club goal-kicking contest. So I'm sure he'll be wanting to um, make up some lost ground. JD's always good for a couple. Uh, Bailey Williams would be keen to get a couple of stags. You know, those small forwards are still trying to, um, uh, you know, cement their spots, and, and so they'll they'll be keen. But Simo's been banging on for a fair bit about supply, and that's that's where we're at. If we can get get supply sorted, I think the score should should take care of itself, much to the same way it did uh, against Hawthorne. Adelaide actually give up. I think more inside fifties than any other club this year, or they're top two or three in that. So if they give up a lot of inside fifties to us, they're in a world of hurt because we're very efficient. Uh, that first quarter against Hawthorne, notwithstanding, very efficient <laughs> going inside fifty. Okay, so I think we're all trending in the right direction for our view of how this game is going to go. But just to uh, just to confirm everything, Miguel, I'll let you lead off for tips. Who's going to win by how much, and which eagle is going to impress us the most? Uh, I've picked us by thirty-two, and uh, you've already mentioned two of my picks for best on ground. So I'll go with the third one. I'll say uh, Dom Sheed, who you mentioned earlier. Uh, he's been good the past couple of weeks while probably getting overshadowed a bit by Kelly and Gaff. Uh, I think Adelaide might put a bit of time into one of those guys and use uh, Ben Keyes maybe as a, as a bit of a stopper, and that'll allow Sheed to, to bob up and yeah, have a 
I don't know, 30-touch, two-goal game. No pressure. No, not at all. 30 and 3, baby. It's all about 30s and 3s here. Uh, Keys, who is going to win by how much and which eagle impresses us? Um, I'll say Adelaide. Uh, not Adelaide. Oh, no. West Coast, by, <laughs> West Coast by 24. I mean, it really probably should be more than that where you look at where the two sides are at, but I'll stay with 24. I'll take it. That's what it is. We spoke about him a bit earlier in the pod. Uh, this is going to be the game that uh, Garrett Brander absolutely tears the side apart, really announces his arrival as a, uh, a genuine midfield threat in the competition. So Garrett Brander to be best on ground. I love that. Uh, for myself, kiss of death stuff as usual, so Adelaide by a point, let's say. Jack Darling is going to kick a bag this weekend. You look at the players that are kicking goals against Adelaide. I mean, it's, it's Jesse Hogan with four goals for a start. Jacob Kazutsky kicked five for them. Now, we just watched him play for Hawthorne. Not a super talent just yet in his young career. Four goals in six games, and then he's kicked five against the Crows, so you love that. Uh, Taberner kicked four against him uh, against the Crows. Ben King kicks four against the Crows. If you can take a mark inside 50, you're a good chance to kick a bag. Jack Darling was marking everything on the weekend. Let the good times roll. Jack Darling is going to kick heaps this weekend. <laughs> That will do it from us for the week, guys. Thank you very much for listening. And if you're interested in more Willy Rioli chat, I'm sure you haven't had your fill just yet this week. As I said, it will be in this same feed. So wherever you got this one, click on and you'll have a, uh, a second little bonus episode to listen to. But other than that, Miguel, it's been a busy week. The Eagles have got a win. We're hoping they can build into another one as well. Thank you very much for joining us on the show. Yeah, no worries. And uh, stay tuned as well for our special Tom Brown episode. Oh, yeah. Can't wait for that one. People are holding their breath. Keys, he's your man, Tommy Brown. You put him fourth and unanimous it was, the villain of the week. Well, another heroic effort from yourself in doing so there. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Yeah, big shout out to Tommy Muppet. Got, um, a, ru- got a rusty spike through. Uh, Absolutely. Thank you very much, guys, for listening. If you joined us on the live commentary, we appreciate that one too. Likes, reviews, shares, all of that good stuff. We're on everywhere you get podcasts. We're on Twitter, we're on Facebook. So jump on, have a chat, have a, send us a question, send us your reviews or your uh, heroes and villains. We love hearing from you. Thank you very much, and we will be back next week to recap what should be a win for the West Coast Eagles. Until then, we'll see you next time. Bye for now. Bye. And we will preview this Sunday's game with the Hawks coming to Perth to take on the Eagles. I'm your host, Tommy Badger. Oh, did I say the Hawks? <laughs> what a dickhead. Uh, All right, well, uh, you've been smoking. Well, Willie's been smoking. <laughs> <laughs>